Right, the, the title of today's talk, today's sermon, is called Give Me Strength. So you want to note that down in your notebook? All right, Give Me Strength. Okay. And some of you might recognize this picture. What movie is that from? Superman. The best and the greatest Superman movie ever. <laughs> Give me strength. Let me read you some scripture. Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ. And if you know it, say it out loud with me, who gives me strength. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things or everything is possible. Matthew 19.26, if you can, I love this. This is Jesus, right? This is in, this is in Mark 9, verse 23. If you can, I'd love to know how it's, if you can, what do you mean, if I can? I don't know how he said it. He probably said it a bit more lovingly sounding than that. I don't know. Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. Wow, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Do you believe it? That's good. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. What does the word natural mean to you? What does the word, just shout out. What does the word natural mean to you? Yogurt, great. I'm coming on to that, yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. Without adding anything into it. Anything else? One more. Normal. Normal. <laughs> That's really good. I like that. We're going to touch upon that. That's good. So images that spring to mind when we think about that word. Well, you might think about woods and trees and fields. Anybody think about those things? Woods and trees and fields. Maybe some of us think about in terms of marketing stuff. We buy at the supermarket, like natural yogurt. That kind of thing. Maybe we mix it up with the word organic. And uh, we think about choosing some organic fruit and veg or whatever else they sell that's organic. Everything seems to be organic these days. And for some, for some, even Christians, and that's not saying that I disagree with you, just saying for some, that might seem like the natural course of the way that life evolved. Okay? Natural then, in that sense is probably seen as a result of random processes without any intelligence guiding it. Now, as a Christian, I probably would argue with that. But for those starting from a creation or intelligent design understanding, natural means something related to a design principle uh, and what the designer intended. As a Christian, I tend to believe that more. Whether that is worked out through evolution or other processes, that's something we can debate and talk about and theologize about. Science, in the stricted sense of the word, using the scientific method, and this is important when you're talking about evolution, using the scientific method, can't overwhelmingly prove either view. It, it just can't. Anybody think it can? Great. Where am I? Both positions, this is the important thing, both positions start with a belief about what is true. So both positions start with a belief, whether you think you're atheistic or not, you have a belief because you think something is true, therefore you believe it. So both positions come from a point of view about a belief which is true. So when I say natural, then, when I say natural, it really depends on our understanding of it, doesn't it? So, um, which I think gives it a slightly different meaning to each one of us. As we just said, you know, natural yogurt, fields and trees, organic fruit, whatever else, the natural way of things. Um, it really does depend. Now, here's the odd thing. Here's the odd thing. When we use the term supernatural, there's no real serious debate about what the term means. There's no real serious debate. The only debate is whether or not it occurs in real life or not. 
That's the debate. We all understand what we mean when we say supernatural. Atheists have to deny the supernatural to confirm, conform to their own belief system. And that's why those who struggle to accept the supernatural struggle when they read the Bible. Who's got the Bible with them this morning? You wave it in the air like you just don't care. Excellent devices. It's interesting that. I've done that a number of years ago. It had been all paper, but now it's half devices, half paper. Let me read that again in case you forgot. Those who struggle to accept the supernatural struggle when they read the Bible. Because in it, what do we do when we read the Bible? We encounter records of supernatural events. They happen all over the place, don't they? Jesus constantly interacted with the, in quotes, natural realm, supernaturally defying what we've defined as the laws of nature. If you read scripture, he defies the laws of nature according to that definition of it. So what did he do? He walked on water. He, he, he changed water into wine. He had something about water, didn't he? Created abundant food from very little. He instantaneously healed sick people and even raised some people from the dead. And, and the book of Acts, which we did a few weeks ago, do you remember? Oh, the church growing, all that kind of stuff. It's full of stories of the early followers of Jesus performing miraculous or seeing the supernatural after Jesus ascended into heaven. The bits of scripture that I read at the start suggest that Jesus taught that all things were possible with God. And that through him, there are no limitations to the natural order. And to keep things simple this morning, I'd like to, to ask and try and answer this question. How do we move from the natural to the supernatural? How do we move from the natural to the supernatural? Well, there's one supernatural event, which you now probably know I'm going to get at, recorded in the Bible that I think is really helpful to us and shows us how to act supernaturally through Christ. It's called that, don't worry. This event is a famous one. And it's the one that God has been really prompting me personally to return to time and again over these last few weeks. And I could preach about it, I think, on a number of different levels. Because I think there are a number of different levels to it. Uh, I'm applying a number of different allegories to it. But today I'm going to focus on, on the more obvious supernatural aspect of the story. So it's the story of where Jesus walked on water. Let me read that to you. So I'm going to read from Matthew 14, from verse 22. So if you want to turn to it, feel free. Matthew 14 from verse 22. I'll give you just a few seconds just to find that. If you found it, stick your hand up when you find it first. I'm, I'm just wondering. Yeah, the device is one. Yeah, yeah. There we go, okay. Jesus insisted that his disciples got back into the boat and crossed the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, Tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over, to the side of the, uh, went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. 
Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. (laughs) So I just find that funny. They spent years with this guy. And all of a sudden, you really are the son of God. And after they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area. And soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched were healed. Wow. You probably know that story really well, but it's good to hear it again, isn't it? I want to break that down. I want to just look at a number of observations that we can get from that story. So Jesus came to his disciples who were in the midst of a storm, which is a very natural event, isn't it? Number two, the disciples were afraid when they saw Jesus. He came to them walking on top of the water, which isn't naturally possible. And so this was evidently something supernatural. And being this wasn't something they'd ever seen or experienced before, they doubted what they were seeing. They doubted Jesus. Three, Jesus said to them, take courage, I am here. He didn't get into the boat with them at this point, but was possibly close enough to the boat to communicate with them. Or maybe again, he was doing something supernatural and extending his voice over the sound of the strong wind and waves. Number four, Peter made a request. He wasn't satisfied just looking at Jesus. Somewhere inside him didn't accept this was a ghost. He wanted to go to Jesus and be sure it was really him. So he asked that Jesus tell him to come on the water. And Jesus said, what does Jesus say? Yes, come. Number six, once Peter had his answer, he immediately acted on it. He got out of the boat and he walked on the water. Clearly a supernatural act. Number seven, as he walked towards Jesus on the water, he doubted. He, suddenly, he was suddenly doing something that wasn't, in quotes, natural. His fears welled up and he was scared of the storm. Number eight, Peter made them another request. Lord, save me. And note here, this, this was to save Peter from drowning. Now, Peter, we're told, was a professional fisherman. And so I would imagine he could have swim it was a handy prerequisite of the job i would have thought in fact at the beginning of chapter 21 in the gospel of john we read that peter leaps out of the boat and into the water to get to the beach so for him to not be able to swim at this point that must have been some storm just try and imagine this storm this this event what is happening in your head it's nighttime it's pitch black they don't have any artificial lights it's 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 messy Number nine, guess what? Jesus responded, didn't he? And and he reached out and he saved him from drowning in the water. Number 10, Jesus spoke to him and told him that the cause was for his failure, that he had little faith. But I want to stress, at least he had some. At least he had some. A final point on, on this observation is number 11, Jesus asked Peter a question. Why did you doubt me? Now, It's not likely that Jesus asked this question because he was expecting an answer from Peter. Let's imagine what has just happened. He's spluttering, he's choking, he's he's cold, he's wet, and Jesus is wanting to have a conversation. He's probably not expecting an answer from Peter, but he's doing it maybe so he could think about it. It's for Peter's benefit. So somewhere, eventually, he would learn the answer to that question. I think that this story, 
as so many lessons for those of us who are believers in Christ. So let's, I want to look at some principles that we can, we can use to experience the supernatural power that Jesus promises to his believers. In John 14, 12, he declares, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. It blows my mind. That's an outstanding sentence. We're going to do even greater things that, that Jesus has done. That's the position that we need to be living at. Not a natural one, but actually a supernatural one. So let me read these principles and, 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 and really, I want you to note them down. So if you've got a notepad or you're taking them on your phone, because I think these are going to help you begin to walk more of a supernatural life. So the disciples' worldview and belief system didn't exclude the supernatural or the spiritual. You got that? Remember that in this story, before they understood what was happening, they attributed their experience of seeing Jesus walking on water as seeing a ghost. That was was their first conclusion. It must be a ghost. They understood that there were things in creation that were outside of the natural order. Now, if our belief system doesn't allow for the spiritual realm or acts of the supernatural, then I'm telling you, it's not likely that we'll ever benefit from supernatural experiences. We might possibly experience something that others call supernatural in a negative way, or it might challenge us, but ultimately, our unbelief will prevent us from experiencing and benefiting from Christ's supernatural power. Number two, all supernatural benefits and actions are the result of knowing Jesus. All supernatural benefits and actions are the result of knowing Jesus. I'll tell you why. Peter didn't just decide to jump out of a boat and walk on water that one day. He had spent time with Jesus, getting to know him. He'd, he'd seen how Jesus worked in people's lives. And just prior to this story, if you're looking at it in your Bible, Jesus has fed over 5,000 people supernaturally from five loaves and two fish. So we have to know Jesus on a personal basis, and that comes from when we are spiritually born again. We need to spend time with Jesus, watching and experiencing how he works in our lives, And how does he work in the lives of other believers? And this then cultivates our relationship with him. Christ, by his spirit, gives us supernatural power to overcome even just the simple things. Such as controlling our anger. Loving someone who isn't very lovable. If we don't choose to want to spend time with Jesus, then we probably won't get an invitation from Jesus to walk on the water. Okay? Now let me say this. There are supernatural powers in the universe, outside of Christ, which operate in the supernatural realm. That is true. It's not to make you scared or fearful, it's just true. But listen, when all is said and done, they're subject to Christ. And if these powers are something that you fear, then just read what it says in Colossians 1 from verse 13. You ready for this? For he, that's God, has rescued us, Christian believers, 
from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom, forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And here's the clincher. He holds all creation together. Just read your Bible. Be encouraged. Be inspired. Let it sink deep into your very soul and understand the power that you have access to. So don't be fearful. Don't be scared. Call on the name of Jesus and it will be okay. And it'll be better than okay. It'll be better than it was before. Amen? I'm not finished. Amen. It's good stuff. The very life force and fabric of the universe then is held in place by Jesus Christ. No power is higher than him. No power is higher than him. No struggle, no worry is higher than him. I really want to stress that this morning. I feel that for some of us, that's just, just know where Jesus is. And know what he's done for you. And recognize that he has everything in his hand. Let me give you another principle that we can do this. Jesus initiates the experience. Jesus came to them during the storm. Now, they didn't recognize him at first. They certainly weren't expecting him to be there. And that's the way it is with many of the storms of life that we pass through. Sometimes we fail to recognize, to remember. That's what we're just saying. That Jesus is in the midst of the storm. We can't control the storms, but we can be victorious over them by understanding that Jesus is right there with us and has everything under control. That's good stuff, isn't it? Let's understand clearly that Jesus always initiates a supernatural experience, and that point is important. Because if we don't understand this truth, we can be tempted to believe that we can manipulate stuff that's outside the natural order via the supernatural, and this is a form of magic that's outside the supernatural power of Christ working in our lives. And being someone who has a past that has experienced the supernatural things outside of Christ, I can attest that this is true, and ultimately it doesn't end well. If you want to know more about the story, come and talk to me. I'll tell you about my life as as somebody with pagan beliefs and things like that, uh, spiritualist aspirations and what have you. I can tell you there are access to spiritual realms which, which won't end well if you choose to walk that path. In fact, I'll remind you of this, this, this story. Um, I was telling someone the other day about it, so it's quite interesting that I'm going to start again this morning. Um, when I was at Covenant College, the Bible College, in 2004, 2005, I'd been a Christian for about, I don't know, three years, something like that. And uh, um, because I lived that life where I had experienced the, in quote supernatural uh, through something that wasn't Christ-centered, it was other-centered, Um, I didn't allow myself for the first three years of my Christian walk to really encounter the Holy Spirit. I acknowledged that he was there and that we can receive the the fruit and what have you. But I didn't really want to engage in 
the, with the Holy Spirit because it, it replicated so much what I'd experienced before. But here was the thing that happened in the middle of that Bible college year. We were having a lesson. Dave Haddon, some of you know him, just said, let's not do the lesson today. Let's just pray for each other. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see God move. And God broke me, to use a, a better phrase. He, he broke down my defenses. And he said, look, I really can do these things. And now that your source is me, it's okay. Feel free. Walking them, work with them. Uh, and, 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 and from that day to this, I was a changed fellow because the devil does want to shadow what God can do. He, he wants to, and he'll even, he'll even kind of, you know, you might even get the impression things have been healed or things have got better. Because ultimately, you're not putting your trust in Jesus, you're putting your trust in your supernatural power that you've somehow obtained from somewhere else. So, you know, Jesus at the center initiates experiences and... Uh, you know, if you've been that way, if you've been involved in stuff like that, it's no longer got a hold of you. I want to tell that to you. Christ is at your center, and you can look to him, okay? We must communicate with Jesus. It seems simple, doesn't it? Once you recognize that Jesus is with us in a storm, or ready to meet us in the storm ahead, we simply need to ask him for guidance and help. We could say that it seems in this story, Jesus was going to stay near the boat to make sure nothing happens to the disciples. I mean, why else was he out there? Is that something Jesus just did? He just, I'm just going to go for a stroll on the water. There must have been a purpose, a reason for why he was doing that. But Peter wanted more than that, didn't he? He didn't just want to see Peter, uh, Jesus walking beside the boat or doing whatever Jesus was doing. He, he asked Jesus if he could walk on water. And here's the important thing. And he moved from being a passive observer of the supernatural to being an active participant. Who wants to stop being a passive observer of the supernatural? Who wants to become an active participant in the acts of the supernatural? Okay, awesome, awesome. We can do this, folks. Together we can see God working out more of that supernatural in our lives and in times when we get together. When Jesus speaks to us, number five, when Jesus speaks to us, we must act on his word in faith. When we ask something from Jesus, he responds. And the question is, do we believe it? <laughs> you ask Jesus, he responds, you think you've just thought it. And then you discover, who's done that? We've got an amazing imagination that comes from God. So we just think, oh, I've imagined it. Well, what God's using your imagination? Huh? Wow. Peter believed it, didn't he? No matter how brief, he believed it. He got out of the boat and he started walking on the water. He said, come. He didn't go, oh, it's, it's wet. <laughs> Tend to fall through that stuff. He went, yeah, all right. And then he, he, moved, you know, he, he started, became fearful, but he had a little bit of belief. All believers are unique, and we all have a unique relationship with Jesus. And we all need to cultivate that relationship. That's important. We all have a unique relationship with Jesus. Don't replicate what somebody else does or how somebody else does it. What is the thing that you do? Because that quickly falls into religion and dogmatism. You have a unique relationship with Jesus. You have an imaginative relationship with Jesus. He's going to use you and work with you, and you're going to talk with him in such weird and wonderful ways. There was this woman a number of years ago who she spoke in tongues, and she sounded like she was speaking Chinese, and it just made me giggle. But that was her way of communicating. I'm never going to speak like... It was like that. I'm not, I'm not being kind of racist in any way. That's just what it sounded like. And I'm going, that sounds weird. But that's how she communed with Jesus. That's how she spoke with her heavenly language. 
I'm not going to laugh at that. That's, that's nonsense because it sounds funny. I think I can laugh. I think Jesus is cool with that. But you know, hey, where am I? When Jesus walked the earth and spoke to believers in the natural realm, his, with his, using his natural voice and body, he told his disciples that after he left, the Holy Spirit would come and be their counselor, explaining everything to them. John 14, 25 onwards says, I'm telling you these things while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate of my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift. Oh. <gasps> This is the gift you've got. Are you ready for it? It's a gift of peace of mind and heart. Gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Today we've got written words of Christ contained in the Bible which offer us wisdom and benefit as loads. But knowledge of his written word leads only to an intellectual knowledge about Jesus, not a personal knowledge in a relationship with Jesus. We need both. The disciples on earth who were with Jesus in the natural realm received direct teaching from him during this three-year period. And we've got much of that teaching in your Bible now. But just as intellectual knowledge about Christ wasn't enough for the original disciples, it's certainly not enough for us believers today. We're guided by the counsel of the Holy Spirit so that we have specific instructions from Jesus to act in faith when the storms come. Intellectual knowledge alone will not lead to supernatural power. Here's a quote that I posted on Facebook last week. If we're all word and no spirit, we dry up. If we're all spirit and no word, we blow up. And if we're word and spirit, we grow up. As a charismatic church, we tend to get a little bit over here and get a bit kind of spiritual about stuff. And that's, that's kind of okay, but we need the word in there, don't we? Otherwise, we can start to fly off the handle and get a little bit possibly heretical. I'm not going to go there, but you, you know what I mean. When Paul wrote a letter to believers in the city of Corinth in the first century, whose lives, people whose lives have been dramatically and radically transformed by Jesus, he said this. When I, this, this, this really helps preachers, by the way. This, this line, you ready? When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I'd forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, then I rely on your power this morning. Father, will you reach hearts and minds that are listening to my words this morning that go far beyond what I meant to write down, Father God, but into a life that is supernatural lived with you. Jesus, for every heart and mind that is here this morning, Father, Father, work with them, interact with them, help them experience your supernatural life. Amen. I did this, I relied only on the power, I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Paul lived a life in the supernatural. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, that even, even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. That's imaginative, isn't it? To take a handkerchief 
and lay it on a sick person, they get healed. Is that allowed? In our religion, is that allowed? Yeah, of course it is, because we're not religious. Whatever it takes, whatever God wants to do. He is an immensely creative being. Have you looked at the world recently? It's full of weird and wonderful stuff. And only somebody with an unlimited imagination can come up with some of those things. He's looking at you, platypus. You know? Wow. Paul was the one that I wrote, who wrote the verse I read at the beginning of, of today's sermon. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We're going to do some work together next week, exploring some of those amazing supernatural acts that are mentioned in the book of Acts. So I want you to get ready for that. Okay? Get ready for that. Read the book of Acts. That, that, can that be your homework from this week to next? Read the book of Acts so that you're bringing to our time together more than just the wisdom or whatever of the person preaching. Perhaps you're bringing something to the whole. Okay? Let God speak to you through that book this week. Okay, final principle. When we fail, we must call out to Jesus because we will fail at all sorts of different things in all sorts of different ways. We will fail. But we can call out to Jesus because he's ready to act on our behalf. And he's an important part that I really want to hammer home. Failure in acting in faith doesn't exclude us from further opportunities to experience the supernatural power of Christ. And read that again. Failure in acting in faith doesn't exclude us from further opportunities to experience the supernatural power of Christ. If you read about the life of Peter, he failed a lot. Even after this event, he'd go on to deny Jesus just before they killed him, acting once again out of fear. But Peter is considered one of the pillars of the faith and one of the key leaders in the early church. And one of the most beautiful things, uh, one of the most beautiful truths of operating in the supernatural is not only do our weaknesses and failures not exclude us from living a supernatural life, they're actually required. It's a paradoxical principle that Paul explained in 2 Corinthians. He said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so I'm glad to boast about my weakness. Who in today's society is glad to boast about their weaknesses? Hillary is, that's good. A lot of us aren't. We'd rather keep those quiet and on the side and in our families and maybe just post on Instagram and social media and Facebook the best part of our lives, not our failures. How many times... Did you read somebody who's a pastor or a leader of church writing something? Wow, this morning really sucked. I was rubbish. I haven't done that once here in this church, by the way. I don't know if you remember. I apologized for the previous week. I thought I was terrible. And I said, before I speak this week, I apologized for last week. It was rubbish. And a number of you stick your hand and went, no, no, it wasn't. I got a lot from that. And then I went on to preach something which I thought was a really good word and it was really well received. But that doesn't happen often. (laughs) Anyway, he said this, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's what's cool. So even though I thought I was terrible and rubbish and bad, the power of Christ worked through me and spoke to hearts and minds that were there that morning. Cool. Jesus gave the key principles to live successful lives in both the natural and the supernatural realm. Here it is. Remain in me. That's your first thing. Just remain in Jesus and I'll remain in you. It's quite simple, isn't it? I can do do that. I, I can do that. 
For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. I don't want that. I want to produce fruit. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Okay, I can do that. Again, I can remain in Jesus. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, let me remain in you all the days of my life. Here's a key question we should ask ourselves if we're not experiencing the supernatural power of Christ. This is a really, it's a really pointed question for each individual who believes. Do I truly know Jesus? Or do I only know about him? Do I truly, and this comes, wow, God connects it all the way back to the beginning. when I said, why is Jesus beautiful to you? To really, I'd forgotten I'd wrote that, to really get us thinking about why do I have a relationship with Jesus? What is it that happens? What, what is it that keeps me connected? When Jesus walked the earth in his natural body, tens of thousands of people heard him preach. Hundreds became disciples. And 12 were his apostles and were with him the entire three years of his ministry. And of those 12, there was an inner group of three who were closest to him, which included Peter. So Peter, remember, who had little faith, apparently, who denied Jesus, who was fearful, who you know, didn't actually say anything worthwhile until uh, the day of Pentecost, and then <laughs> he was amazing. Um, but he was closest to him for three years. We can do this, folks. We can, we can step out and step into all that God's got for us, no matter how, how, how much of a failure we think we are, because Jesus is with you. Uh, We see two of those three, those three that were closest to Jesus, performing most of the supernatural acts after he left. And today, in his resurrected state, Jesus isn't confined to a physical body. And we can be be as close to him personally as Jesus was, who walked on the water. So let me leave you with those points again. Number one, the disciples' worldview and belief system didn't exclude the supernatural or the spiritual realm. Number two, all supernatural benefits and actions are the result of knowing Jesus. Number three, Jesus initiates the experience. Number four, we must communicate with Jesus. Number five, when Jesus speaks to us, we must act upon his word in faith. And finally, number six, when we fail, we must call out to Jesus because he is ready to act on our behalf. Awesome. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.